So good. Uh, we're going to ask you to engage in uh, just a couple more things in a few minutes. I, I want to just take a second here um, to, to pull up some really high-tech mountains. Um, I, uh, I crafted these mountains uh, myself, and so this is mountain number one. Everybody say mountain number one. We're going to pray that that doesn't catch on fire, and we're also going to uh, apologize to the human care team who took so such great effort and work to set up all these beautiful decorations. If you haven't thanked them yet, uh, just give them a shout out and a thank you on uh, on Facebook so they can see that and, and celebrate with you. Um, we're in Hebrews chapter 12, and, and in Hebrews chapter 12, it's kind of an interesting thing. There's these two mountains, right? Um, and it doesn't draw that out immediately, but there's these two mountains, and, 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 and really it's not just two mountains, but two moments. Um, two moments where God chooses to be with his people. And, and so we're going to take a look at Hebrews 12, the, those uh, first few verses, first five, six verses, and, and be thinking about, okay, so, so what does the first mountain look like? We'll talk about some detail and some summary, and then we'll ask a question. And then uh, we'll, we'll look at the second mountain, some detail, and we'll ask the same question. So uh, let me just kind of read it here first, uh, just those first uh, few verses. Hebrews 12, 18 to 21. We've heard it already, but I want you to hear it again. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order uh, that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, right? So, so this first mountain over here this is mountain number one. Everybody say mountain number one. Good, mountain number one. This is Mount Sinai. So we're going all the way back to Exodus chapter uh, 18, 19, right? Right before uh, the people of God received the Ten Commandments. Uh, they, they've left Egypt. Uh, they, they were there as slaves for about 400 years. And now they've uh, come out. They've crossed over the Red Sea. And, uh, and now they're in the wilderness right by Mount Sinai. And, and this is the scene that happens, right? This is the moment when God chooses to be with his people, right? He takes the form of Emmanuel, but it's a much different form than we are sort of used to in 2020, right? So, so just see some of the things that are listed there. First, we have to identify this is a tangible, touchable mountain. Like, uh, it, you know, I mean, it looks like this mountain is floating, right? But, but this is a tangible, touchable mountain. You can start at the base of the mountain and climb all the way to the top of it, which is what Moses actually does. Um, uh, this is, there's a blazing fire on or around this mountain, right? Uh, fire in the Old Testament often represents the presence of God. Uh, several different places. There's a, a, a column of fire. Um, uh, when he makes a covenant with Abraham, right, there, uh, the fire passes through. So fire is often a symbol for the presence of God. We also understand that fire is destructive, we especially understand that here in California. Fire is destructive. Um, and then we get these three words that really set the tone and the mood for what it looks like when God comes to be with his people. Um, we get blackness and darkness and tempest. I'm sure those are the words you typically think of when you think Emmanuel, God with us, right? Uh, that's not what we typically think of. Look at this. Um, blackness is a word that means gloom. Right? There's this gloomy presence that kind of uh, hangs over the mountain. Um, darkness is the darkness of night. 
Uh, it's the darkness sometimes of ignorance, right? So, so there's something uh, happening on or around the mountain that the people can't fully understand, right? It's the darkness of ignorance. Uh, and then there's this word tempest, right? Tempest is kind of a, I had to actually look it up because I didn't really know what it meant. Uh, tempest means a sudden storm or a whirlwind. So I picture a tornado, right? Because I'm from the Midwest. So, uh, so, so a tempest, right? A sudden storm that comes. And, and then we get this sound of a trumpet, Right? There's a trumpet uh, on or around the mountain. And, uh, and, and trumpets in the Old Testament usually signal one of two things, either A, an alarm, uh, so, so a warning of some kind, or B, a charge into battle. Right, a, a sound of a trumpet coming from the mountain. And then there's this, this terrifying voice. Right? But the, in fact, the voice is so terrifying that, um, that, that the people beg don't speak to us anymore, right? We can't stand what you are saying. We can't stand to listen, so please stop speaking to us. Uh, Moses himself says that he was terrified at all of this stuff and at the voice that was speaking. So, so here's the question. Um, approachable or unapproachable, this Mount Sinai? Um, something that you want to draw close to or stay far away from? Uh, I'm sure that you're answering. I just want to cement and, and, and put your answer in, uh, in kind of concrete, so to speak. If we actually go back to Exodus chapter 19, which uh, I won't read for you, but, but it's very interesting. That there's two things that, that tell us even more that this is an unapproachable mountain and really an unapproachable God. Uh, God says, hey, Moses, I want you to consecrate yourself and consecrate the people. So Moses is going to be the only guy that goes from the base all the way up to the top to meet with God. There's going to be 70 priests that get to go halfway up the mountain, and, and Moses is supposed to consecrate them. And, and even all the people at the base of the mountain, the hundreds and thousands of them, consecrate them. Uh, to consecrate something means that you make it holy, um, that, that, that you set it apart for something special or for a special moment. Um, to the way that uh, something is consecrated is a sacrifice is offered. So um, a goat or a bull or a ram uh, um, or, or, or maybe a bird of some kind or, or, or maybe just uh, like a, a grain or a wheat offering, but there's an altar made and then there's some kind of sacrifice that is, that is killed and burned on that altar. And so God tells Moses, hey, consecrate the people, all of them. They all need to be consecrated. They all need to be made holy if they're going to even be at the base of this mountain. And, and Moses tell them to wash their clothes. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting thing, right? We wash our clothes regularly. They didn't. They didn't have, you know, washer and dryer. And so, so this is a big deal, right? Consecrate them and wash their clothes. Uh, tell them that they need to be clean. They need to be holy. They need to be made clean in this place. And even more than that, Exodus uh, 19, super interesting. God says, hey, put up this boundary around the mountain. And it seems like Moses starts to go up and God says, hey, no, go back down and tell them, don't touch the mountain. So just see this, right? They don't even get to be on the mountain. They, they're supposed to put up this boundary around it. Nobody's supposed to touch it. Nobody's supposed to be near. Nobody's supposed to be close. And they're supposed to consecrate themselves. <laughs> Approachable or unapproachable. Get close to it or stay far away. See, uh, this first mountain, Sinai, um, God is distant and, and he's obscure, he's remote, so to speak. 
Um, everything says, stay away from this mountain. Don't draw near. Uh, this mountain shows us our problem. It shows us the full depth of our sin and our unholiness. Right? When you're looking at the awesomeness and the holiness of God, there's a very real sense of, wow, I'm not that. <laughs> right? And so this, this mountain shows us our problem. It shows us our sin. I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and, and read 22 to 24. And this is the second mountain that's offered here. It says this, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Now, just notice that little word that starts the whole thing, but, right? So, so there's this one mountain, this one moment where God came down to be with his people, and now there's a different moment. There's something different that has happened, and there's a different mountain that we can be going to. Let me read it again. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So, so we've got to see a couple of things about this mountain particularly. Um, this is not a literal physical mountain. Uh, it speaks about the heavenly Jerusalem, right? That's a huge clue. Hey, this is not an actual physical mountain that you could start at the base and climb to the top. Now, this is a, a, a heavenly mountain. This is a spiritual mountain. This is a, a, an other kind of mountain. And on this mountain, there's a multitude of angels, Anytime that you see a multitude, well, I think most of the time that you see a multitude of angels in Scripture, uh, it means that God is present in that place, uh, near wherever those angels might be. Um, and, and anytime that you see a multitude of angels, they're usually doing one thing. They're singing praises to God. You get a much different feel, right? There's no blackness and darkness and tempest. This is a multitude of angels singing praises to God. I, I, I've been in some really big gatherings where people are singing praises to God, and there's just there are a few things that are more moving and more beautiful and more spectacular than that. That's the feeling that, I mean, these are angels, right? They have perfect voices, perfect pitch, right? I mean, they just sing perfectly. And so these are angels, they're the multitude of angels singing praises to God. And then we see that God is on this mountain and he is the judge of all. Now, I just want to draw that out because we think judge and we think, oh, Guilty, right? Guilty, slam the gavel, move on. Um, I want to encourage you to think broader here when you hear God is the judge of all. Um, uh, a judge is, does make a decision between two things, and, and he might declare guilty, but he also might declare not guilty. And, and if we look at the broader context of Scripture, a judge is also, in the Old Testament, um, uh, somebody who uh, is a warrior, Somebody who God raises up to deliver and save his people. And so um, we see that in the book of Judges, by the way. Um, not Judge Judy, but um, like uh, William Wallace uh, kind of thing. Uh, so, so a judge, uh, just encourage you to have a bigger picture of that. And we'll come back to that in a second. And then we see that on this mountain, uh, Jesus is there. And what is he doing? He's mediating a new covenant. 
Uh, you might say he's negotiating a new covenant. A covenant is a, is a relationship or a connection uh, between some people groups. In this case, of course, it's a new covenant, a new relationship, a new connection between God the Father Almighty and me, between God the Father Almighty and you, between God the Father Almighty and us. Jesus is on this mountain mediating, negotiating a new covenant. And, and the way that he does that is through his sprinkled blood. Now, this is interesting, right? Uh, through the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. It, there's not too many references of that. So I just want to kind of, uh, this is like a side note, right? Just to uh, avoid the distraction. The blood of Abel uh, goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. And uh, uh, Cain uh, is Abel's brother and Cain murders Abel. Uh, his blood is spilled in the, in the field. Uh, Cain did that basically because he was jealous of Abel. So the blood of Abel, just see this, cries out for vengeance. It cries out for justice. Hey, people like Cain shouldn't be, you know, get off scot-free. People like Cain should be punished, right? That's what the blood of Abel cries out. But the blood of Jesus cries out pardon and mercy and forgiveness. And so the blood of Jesus... Um, speaks better than the blood of Abel. So, so if you just kind of reverse all that, right, you've got um, Jesus negotiating a new covenant uh, through his sprinkled blood with God, who is the judge of all. So um, how do you think God is going to judge you when you're on this mountain? Not guilty. Is this mountain approachable or unapproachable? Uh, do you want to draw close to this mountain or do you want to stay far away from this mountain? And when we look at the two mountains, of course, we want to draw close to this one, right? We want to be close to God and where he is. Um, on this mountain, God can be near and can be close. We can just celebrate that truth. Um, everything says, hey, come draw near, uh, be with me. And this mountain, we just have to see this, it shows us the solution. Uh, this one shows us the problem. This one shows us the solution. And the solution, of course, is Emmanuel. Emmanuel is the incredible truth that we have this unapproachable God, this Lord of might, this unapproachable God who approaches us. How incredible is that? An unapproachable God who approaches us. And when he approaches us, he, he, he sheds his blood. He offers the sacrifice. And that sacrifice negotiates a new covenant. So that God slams that gavel down and he declares us what? Not guilty. See, this mountain tells us the truth that God chose the path of Emmanuel, which means that we are worthy, not because we are, but because Christ is, and Christ lives in us. The sacrifice has already been made. So, so where does this uh, where does this move us? Uh, let, let me offer uh, kind of just 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 two suggestions for where uh, these two mountains might move us. Uh, on the one hand, I think that sometimes we want to intentionally, intentionally that means on purpose. We want to intentionally approach this mountain. And that might seem strange to you. We don't normally talk like this or think like this, but, but we want to intentionally approach this mountain. In other words, we want to 
cautiously and reverently approach God. Uh, we want to we take time to make sure we're remembering exactly who he is and exactly who I am. Um, uh, d- just listen to the, to the lyric from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, thou Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times did give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. So, so we want to intentionally approach this mountain, and that might just practically, it might look like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through the Ten Commandments. Uh, I mean, when was the last time you sat down with the Ten Commandments and said, oh, man, oh, boy, oh, no, <laughs> right? I mean, just take the time to actually walk through it and, and, and be honest with yourself and with God and admit your sin, uh, it might mean that you read the Sermon on the Mount, the whole thing, right? Uh, not just the, the, you know, the Beatitudes, but, but the whole Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7, right? And, and even into chapter 8, and, and, you, and you just, you know, hey, what sin do I have in my life? Um, who am I compared to who God is? Uh, it might mean that you even put yourself in an intentional relationship, an intentional relationship with somebody that's going to challenge you. Uh, that you put yourself in a relationship and, and you say, um, hey, I'm giving you permission to call me out when I'm being dumb, <laughs> when I'm doing something that I shouldn't, right? You put yourself in an intentional relationship. So, so, so one way that this Hebrews 12 and, and this particular verse, this Lord of might moves us is that we, we intentionally approach this mountain. We, we approach this mountain on purpose so we can remember who God is and who I am. Uh, but of course, we've got two mountains. And so we also rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel will come to you, O Israel. We rejoice that the unapproachable God approaches us. We rejoice that he declares us worthy. We rejoice that he says, hey, come, draw near to me. Be with me because I want to be with you. And really, as I, as I thought about it, I, I really hesitated to put up two mountains here because, because the reality is that there's only one mountain. <laughs> we rejoice in the Lord of might who is also Emmanuel. So if I could just take one mountain out, we'll take this one out, put it down. We'll celebrate that it didn't catch on fire from the Advent candles. And then we'll remember that this mountain, on this mountain is the Lord of might. And we get to be on this mountain because of Emmanuel. Because he came to be with us, to declare us worthy, and to draw us close. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel will come to you. Amen. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for, uh, for, for man, the, the different times that you have come. Uh, not just, uh, you know, coming one time as a baby um, born of a virgin, but, but that you, you've come many times throughout history. And, and it gives us little snapshots, uh, little glimpses into who you are. Uh, into the fullness of you. 
Um, will, will you move in our hearts and our minds uh, in a way that uh, we lift our eyes? Uh, will you move us? Will you, will you fill us with your spirit so that we lift our eyes to, to see your grandness, your awesomeness, uh, your might, your power? Will you uh, give us the courage to be honest about who we are? Uh, the mistakes that we have made, the sin that we carry, and will you plant a firm and deep joy in our hearts, a firm and deep joy in our hearts that you come to us, that you always want to be close, always, every single day. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for who you are and all that you have done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.